Welcome to the Replant Boot Camp with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart, where we get down doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting churches. This is a podcast for replanters by replanters. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. 180 has just launched two new products that we think could really help your church. So stick around to the end of the podcast to hear more. Bob, I'm really excited about today's episode. We have the illustrious... Dr. Fred Luter. Man, that's awesome. He's he's such a great guy, such a great preacher, and just a phenomenal story. We ran into some technical difficulties. Yes, uh, we did. <laughs> so it became a little difficult to get this one recorded. And it's man, Fred's such a busy guy. When you when you if he gives you 45 minutes of his time, you better make the best of it. You gotta drop everything. If you're in the Popeye's line for a chicken sandwich. And he gives you some, he calls. You're getting out of that line. Yes, absolutely. You got to do what you got to do. You do. <laughs> it, he, he, he told me he was delighted to be invited to the Replant Bootcamp podcast. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know who Fred Luter is, man, you should know who Fred Luter is. Fred Luter was the first African-American president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he has pastored the same church for 33 years, Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, the only church he's pastored. His son, Chip Luter, is a replanter in Tampa uh, as a campus of Idlewild Baptist Church. And so I'm excited about this episode and next episode as we tell the story of the Luter replant legacy. It's a phenomenal one. I know our guys are going to really be uh, blessed by it, to hear it. And uh, man, I was so thankful that we got a chance to talk to those guys. Pastor Fred, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us kind of how things got started for you at Franklin Avenue and how in, in many ways, long before there was a replanting movement, that's that's really kind of what you did is, is went to a dying church. And there, how long have you been at Franklin Avenue? This past third Sunday, last, the, on the 20th, I made 33 years here as pastor at Franklin Avenue. Wow. Man, that's incredible. That's incredible. Man, so take me back to the beginning. Yeah, it was, uh, frankly, it was an all-white Southern Baptist church in the Upper Night Ward area of the city. And in the late 1970s, there was a white flight. Whites moved out the neighborhood. Blacks moved in. So since 1980, it became a, a predominantly black church. Five minutes from New Orleans Seminary, a lot of seminary students used to attend and this, that, and the other. But the neighborhood started changing. And so uh, there was a transition in the neighborhood. There was a handful of uh, Anglo members who were still members of Franklin Avenue. And they literally gave the building to the local association that would be used for people in the community. And, and that's how this thing started. Uh, I, I grew up National Baptist. I was preaching at a National Baptist church. And somebody there told me about Franklin Avenue and would I be interested in submitting my application as pastor. And I had never passed it before, Jimbo. I've been the street preacher all my life, man. And, but I was interested. Yeah. And yeah. I, I did submit my resume and uh, they did get in co- contact with me. And when they set up a Sunday where I can come and uh, teach a Sunday school class and then preach for the 11 o'clock service. And that was the third. That was in September uh and after the service, there was a, re- a reception downstairs to meet me and my wife and my kids. At the time, Chip was two years old, man. Our daughter Kimberly was four. And uh, that ap- after the fellowship, we went upstairs. 
back in the main sanctuary there, and they asked me questions for about an hour, hour and a half, about what I would do if this happened or what if that happened, thing like that. And, uh, however, we, we were still a mission church of Gentilly Baptist Church, was in an, which was an Anglo church on the other end of Franklin Avenue. And uh, Dr. Daniel Reagan, he was still our mission church. He was on the pulpit committee. In fact, he conducted the meeting uh, that day between myself and the congregation. Yeah. That evening, I got a call about 6 o'clock and said, I've been elected as pastor. That's Franklin Avenue scared me to death, man, because, you know, as a associate minister, you know, you got one or two good sermons, you can preach the whole year, then now I got to preach a new sermon every Sunday, it scared me to death. That's how I became part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I was National Baptist all my life, and had ne- didn't know anything about the Southern Baptist Convention, not one thing. Yeah. Uh, did not know about our past, did not know how the convention started. I was just excited that here was a group of people that wanted me to be their pastor, and so I went there and was just really excited about it. It was a dying church. He had directed mission. When they elected me, he set up an apartment with me and said, son, you're not the church for, you're not my church. This church is dying. I think it needs someone who's experienced to be able to go there and help them out. He said, but they, for whatever the reason, chose you. He said, <laughs> he said, he said this is my assignment to you. You either go resurrect this church or we're going to bury it. Ooh. That's what he told me, man. With a lot of confidence. I mean, he had a lot, lot of confidence. confidence. <laughs> yeah, a lot of confidence, man. And I said, sorry, listen, uh, I know New Orleans loves funerals, but I have no room no for a funeral for a church. And so, uh, and that, but that was my start, man. But I went there. Jimbo, knowing what God had done in my life, how God had resurrected my life. And I said, if God can do it, resurrect my life, God can resurrect the life of this church. So I Amen. went there to this church, uh, loved on them, preached the word of God, taught the word of God, lived the word of God, and uh, and God just began to bless me. That's awesome. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you encountered in, say, your first five years or so to try to bring this church back to life? Preaching a new sermon every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> That was my biggest challenge. I'd say, I'd say you've gotten pretty good at that by now. Yeah, yeah. With, with, with time came more experience, and so it happened to work out. But one of my biggest challenges was to get the members of the church to really practice the Word of God. Uh, for instance, when I got there, this church had chicken dinners, suppers every weekend. Mm. That was how they paid the staff out. That's how they kept the lights on. That's why they, and I asked them about, you know, well, have y'all ever considered tithing? Oh, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And this, that, yeah. And I, I <laughs> so when you say chicken dinners, you don't mean like fellowship of the church. You mean like they were running a restaurant out of the church. Running. It was like a restaurant. They would sell suppers. They go up in the black church. We call them suppers every Friday and Saturday. And that's how they paid their bills. They would sell these suppers for about uh, $8 a plate. My, my biggest challenge was to just to get them to believe the Word of God. So I began teaching a series of Bible study lessons and preaching sermons on that the Bible was our final authority, that mm. if we stand on the Word of God, if we do what the Bible says, then we can really grow this church. I'd use Acts chapter 2 as a basis of growing the church, showing them what the early, how the early church grew, and I used uh, uh, other uh, biblical principles in the Bible to just challenge them. Going into my third year, I uh, called a, a business meeting together, which I hated business meetings and still do to this day. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, folks, listen, I want to make a, a recommendation. I said, we've been, I've been here two years now, going into my third year. You know how I feel about selling chicken dinners and suppers to pay the bills of the church. I say, as we go into this third year, let's try tithes and offering. I've been teaching on it. I've been preaching on it. I said, let's put it into action. Oh, no, Reverend, it ain't going to work. It ain't gonna, we ain't going to be able to do it. I said, I'll tell you what. 
Let's try it for six months. Let's okay. try it for six months. And if it doesn't work, I'll be the first one to put on an apron and fry the first chicken. <laughs> Jimbo, I've never had to put on an apron, man. And Praise then, God. Yeah, from that experience, the people begin to see, hey, God's way really does work. Yeah. And uh, and that that's how it that that so the the challenge in the first five years was one getting people to really believe the word of God that the word of God was sufficient for everything that we did and in everything even in our uh, churches uh, uh, business meetings and I and I always tell them I say who's Robert and why is he running our business meetings why don't we do a word of God <laughs> Amen Amen uh, you know, and so I, you know, so my, my challenge is to get people to fall in love with God and fall in love with the Word of God. And I promise you, if we fall in love with God, fall in love with the Word of God, God will reward us for doing that. Praise God. That's a good word. The other story I remember you telling about several times, I've heard you tell the story about you, you had mostly women uh, yes. in the church and you had a pretty unique strategy to, to build some relationships with men. If I remember correctly, a pay-per-view boxing event. That's correct. That's the who, was, who, was, who was the match? Two men at the time. Uh, it was Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas the Hitman Hearns. Those were the guys on top of the world, man. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we had our church, even though it was a small church, we still had like 98% of women. We had two older guys, Brother Brooks and Brother Cooper, now going on home to meet the Lord. And maybe two other guys, one, Brother Smitty was an usher. And I, I told her, I told the ladies, I said, ladies, listen, I, I really believe that God wants us to reach men. I say, uh, we, we, we went out in the neighborhood, we passed out flyers, I knocked on doors, we couldn't get men to come. And a lot of that, Jimbo, had to do with the reputation of the previous pastor. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he he morally he was not what he should have been. There was a lot of rumors and reputation things about that about he was a messing with the women in the church. And so I can mm. understand men not wanting to come to church. So uh, I called the uh, uh, the lady. I said, "Listen, I, I want to reach men in this community." And I said, "One of the things I want to do uh, to reach men is uh, men not they're not coming to church. We've tried to get them to come to church, but I thought about men love boxing, and at that time." But look, it's the Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Earl on top of the boxing world. And so I ordered the pay-per-view boxing match at my house. I don't know if Chip remembers that when he was a because like I said, he was only a small kid at the time, but he may remember me having that boxing match at my home. I just invited every Sunday from the pulpit. I would announce it. Hey, ladies, I have the boxing match. I would invite your husband, invite your boyfriends, invite your sons. And man, the day of the fight, the night of the fight, Jim, I thought my neighbors were going to put me out, man. I came from <laughs> They came from everywhere, man. They came in their car with a boom, the music blasting, a wine cooler in one hand and a can of beer in another. And they were coming to the preacher's house, man. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I said, oh, Lord. So I had to put a garbage can out on the front and say, hey, man, uh, when they knock on the door and they say, hey, is this where the fight at? I said, well, it, it, what you, it, it depends on what you mean by the fight, man. It, 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 and I uh, said, so, yeah, but I said, brother, do me a favor. I'm pastor of the church. I, I, I don't allow any drinking in my home, so if you don't mind. And not one of them, not one of them gave me a problem. All of them would, because they wanted to see the boxing match. Yeah. And so, uh, so they came in, man, in the night of the day, of that night of the fight, man, I couldn't get two guys to come to church. But we had 25 men in the den of my home, man. And uh, and my wife, it was important that my wife was be there. So she prepared some like finger sandwiches and and wings and refreshments, man, and uh, just had a great time. And so uh, the fight started, man. And and I was telling a guy when they came when they came to my house with the beer can and and the wine cooler. Well, 
that's what all they knew. I didn't expect them to come with a King James Bible on the one hand and Rolf and Himmler Bible on the other hand. They were sinners and sinners sin. I do understand that. And yeah, yeah. So they, they came in the house, man, and after 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 the fight, man, well, during the fight, I will forget, uh, Sugar Ray and Thomas are, and one of the guys said, hit that mother. Said, oh, screw me, Ray. I said, that right? Uh, again, they, they were sinners and sinners sin, right. man. And uh, so after the fight, I said, hey, guys, I'm the new pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. Your wife goes there. Your daughter goes there. Your girlfriend goes there. And I want to reach some men in this community, man. And uh, that Sunday, the fight was on a Friday night. That Sunday, five of those guys came to our service. And, man, I made a big deal of it. I had yeah. to stand to my announcers. And, uh, hey, ladies, these are my these are my guests. And after the service, man, Women just surrounded those guys, man. They were so excited uh, that uh, to be there at the church. And then with the crazy thing that happened, the following Sunday, those five guys came back and they brought other guys with them. Yeah. And I, I did the same thing, man. I did. Oh, you know it, man. We had about 50 guys in the church, man. I got, and so I, I, yeah. I, I, I would disciple them. I had a, I started a men's ministry class that I would teach every Tuesday night uh, to make sure about their salvation, to disciple them and uh, be a part of the church. And, and by God's grace, man, until this day, any service you come to at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, anywhere from 47 to 48 percent of the congregation of men, man. So man. that's something I'm very, something I'm very proud of. That's awesome. You still make, do you still make guests stand up whenever they come? You still yes. have to call them out? Yeah. So you go against a lot of the conventional wisdom. Cause I remember I visited a few Sundays and I, you, it was, I guess real easy for you to figure out I was a guest. I think I was the only white guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I remember you called us out. We, we stood up and, 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 but everybody made us feel so welcome whenever we did that, man. When I've loved watching your ministry in, in the years that I've known you and, what benefits are you seeing now? You said 33 years at the same church. Same church. What benefits do you see that come from staying that long at the same church? Wow, there's so many that I can think of. One of the ones, you actually get an opportunity to mold the lives of people. I've, I've been here so long that I, I've seen uh, individuals that when they were babies, I christened them. When they became believers, I baptized them. And when they start growing and maturing and falling in love, I've performed their wedding uh, mm. uh, services, man. And, and now I've seen some of those same kids now having families of their own and, and becoming leaders in the church that they grew up in. Uh, yeah. That's an incredible benefit, man. And then uh, on top of that, these are people that I had a, an impact on their lives. And so they... They really are committed to what I'm trying to do. They've seen me walking and talking and living through the years. So some of the headaches and conflict that some of my pastor friends have had through the years in other churches where they're just there for a short amount of time, by God's grace, I have not had that because these people, they grew up here, they believe in me, they know my heart, they mm. know my desire. And so it has prevented from what I feel is a lot of unnecessary conflict because the people that trusted me, and they believe in what I've done through the years. What has it meant for you raising a family and all of that? One of the great examples I think you serve as well is how well you you love your wife, you love your kids, anybody that yes. knows you. Loves his grandkids, Jimbo. 
I mean, grandkids, loving the grandkids. You think about his grandkids. Everybody, right? Anybody, anybody that knows you knows how much you love your family, and and you always do a, just a phenomenal job of introducing your wife every every time you speak. And yes. and I, I even I, I've always even remembered. I don't know if it's still the same. I haven't called you in a long time, but on your voicemail, I always loved on your voicemail how you you'd say if you call me on Friday. That's still what? on that. <laughs> On my Friday, I'm sorry, that's my day. I'm spending that day with the love of my life, the apple of my eye, my pride, real, my good thing. My wife, you listen to that. Come on. That is still on my ass. Yes, it is. Yes, it and that's is. been such a good example for me. In I, honestly, I think about that. I think about making sure that I'm loving my wife well, that I love her well publicly, that my church sees yeah, how much I love my wife and my kids. What would you say to a young pastor? young family on the importance of in the midst of busy, busy ministry. And I don't know anybody who's ever been busier than you. Once you've been the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah. right? You're getting pulled a thousand different directions. Yeah. But what would you say to that young pastor that is trying to love his family well in the midst of ministry? Great question, Jim Boys. One, I always tell young pastors, man, make your wife and kids a priority. Never, ever, ever make the mistake of putting the church before your family. Mm. And I say, that's not something I believe in, it's biblical. When you look at the, the scripture, God created the family before he ever created the church. The church was created in, uh, I mean, the family was created in Genesis chapter two, when God united Adam and Eve together. Mm. The church was not started until Acts chapter two. So, and then the Bible says in Genesis two and 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That we got to make our families a priority. We've got to let them know that we care about them, that we love them, that we're not sacrificing our time with them for church work. Because the, the church is God's church is going to go on with there without me. But my family, I have to give God uh, uh, accountability for my own family. So uh, that's something I I never ever ever regret doing. Matter of fact, before you and I got on the phone, there I got a call about an hour ago about a leading pastor in this city is having a meeting tomorrow at his church about some uh, things with our election coming up in November here locally. And I say, as much as I want to come tomorrow's my off day, that's my date day. And he said, yeah. oh, that's okay. So uh, yeah, and, and and there will always be temptations and people that's trying to get you away from that. But my wife and my kids will never forget that on Fridays, they knew that was their day. Mm. And it made a difference. I've seen the difference. I've been watching and, and, and I, I see that. And it's been a great example to me to see you put that priority. Uh, I know you got to go here real soon. So, so two more, two more questions I want to go with on you. Uh, one is uh, what has it meant for you speaking to family to see Chip now also spending his life in bringing uh, a new life to a church that came to that, that point of, of death and now they're a campus of Idlewild. And, and so now you replanted from within, and now we're yeah. getting to see Chip replant as a campus. What does that mean for you as a dad? Man, it's, it's a great, it's an answer to very when I, uh, my mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old. So uh, I never had a dad growing up in my home. And as a result of that, Timbo, when I was a teenager in high school, I'd made a lot of mistakes, hanging with a lot of wrong people, made a lot of bad decisions because I did not have a male influence in my home. When I got saved and uh, gave my life to the Lord, then when I got married to my wife, Elizabeth, and God allowed us to start having kids, when I had my son, Chip, I made a vow to God, I begged, I said, God, please let me be the man in my son's life that I never had in my life. Let me be the father in his life 
that I've never had because I'm convinced, Jimbo, you can never be what you've never seen. And because I never seen my dad loving my mom, I never mm. seen my dad at the right at the kitchen table praying for the family. I never seen my dad give a little love tap on the behind of my mom. Never, never seen <laughs> none of that, man. Uh, and, and as a result of that. I grew up with a, a worldly mentality of what it meant to be a, a, a man. And, yeah. uh, but when I got saved and asked God to do it, not only did God answer my prayer by uh, saving my son and giving him salvation, but then God, and this is a Louisiana term, it gave, a, gave me lanyard. <laughs> I'm trying to get Florida to adapt the word lanyard, man. Like everybody, that's a, such a good word. Yeah, he, God gave me lanyard, called him into the ministry. And now I, I've seen my son do something that is just a miraculous. You know, um, I struggled, you know, cause he was on staff as you pastor at this church. And I struggled when he uh, came to me and said that he was looking at uh, relocating to Florida mm. uh, to pastor Idlewild. And I struggled with that until God revealed this to me. And that really freed me up. I started pastoring Franklin Avenue Baptist Church when I was 30 years old and Chip was two years old. Now, he started pastoring Idlewild when he was 30 years old, and his son Drew was two years old. Mm. So I, had, mm. I put that, I said, wow, God, that. So to see what God is doing in his life, and I was there about three weeks ago, go down there to do a marriage retreat for him and his church, and to preach, and to be there to preach, and to see what God is doing in that church is multicultural. I mean, see, because that is just, just to see different races and, and families coming together, man. And the fact that uh, they love him, man. They're crazy about him. I'm still looking for the buttons on my coat, man. I can't find them. My chest is sticking out so far. Man. Praise God, man. Last question before you yeah. go. Man, you've been such a great example in, in your ministry and so many to the replanters that are going to listen to this and are replanting dying churches. They're discouraged. They're frustrated. They're dealing with all sorts of challenges, angry church members and low budgets and, and all the things that come that you've experienced. What word of wisdom or encouragement would you share with the replanters listening to this podcast? Great question, Jim Boyd. First of all, let me also thank you, man, for allowing me to do this. And also, I do apologize. I do have another meeting I have to go to, but the answer I would give to that question, to guys who are out there struggling, to guys out there wondering, God, is just what you want me to do? My word would be, continue to be faithful. I am a living witness that if you're faithful to God, mm. faithful to God's word, faithful to your calling, faithful to your wife and family, and faithful to the church or that you serve, I am a living witness that if you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. Stop trying to do it, uh, look and see if the grass is green on the other side. Man, we started with 50 members here. Mm. First church, never pastor before, had not even been to seminary, man. I was just a street preacher. But I went to this church knowing that God had called me to this church and being faithful in those areas that God, that I just mentioned. And now we are the largest church in the city of New Orleans. Praise God. Praise God. Would you voice just a quick prayer over those that are going to listen? I'd be glad to do it. Father, I thank you for my brother Jimbo. God, thank you for the opportunity that he's given me to pour into the heart and the life of the young men who are just, uh, God, some of them are weary. Some of them are wondering, is this your will? God, I pray that my story, my testimony, what God has done in the life of a church that was ready to close down. But because I was faithful to you, because I was faithful to your word, because I was faithful to that church, God, you allowed us to grow and be the church that you called us to be. God, I pray that these young preachers would never despise small beginnings, God, because you are God who can do miraculous things to someone who's just faithful. The scripture says, if 
you're faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many. So God, I pray encouragement upon these pastors. I pray strength upon these pastors. I pray most of all that they will look to the hills from which cometh their help, but truly their help comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Fred. Mm-hmm. Great conversation with Fred Luter. Fred Luter, I think one of the great things about Fred is just his lasting legacy of being the same pastor, the same church for 33 years now. And in all functions, a replant from within. I mean, when the, when the director of missions look at you and says, I don't think you're the guy, so we're going to just bury this thing. I think we can, I think we can call it a replant. Yeah, that's a replant. And it's funded by chicken dinners. Yes. So, I mean, I'm not going to hey. lie. That was a fact I was not aware of until today. Man, you know, I, I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, good grief. We have a hard time getting volunteers for like kids ministry and VBS. Could you imagine getting volunteers for chicken dinners every single Friday and Saturday? That's unbelievable. Yeah. When he said, you know, he he went through that for three years and, mm-hmm. and then he led his people yeah. to trust God's word to say, you know, God's word works and let's try it. And they said no, but he goes, all right, let's try it for six months. And this, this was great. He said, I'll be the first to put the apron on if it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, and that that is strong leadership that leads his people forward. That's a visionary shepherd right there. Yes. You know, that, that leads them forward. He's got tactical patience. He did the chicken dinner thing for, you know, three years. But yeah. then came to a point where he was like, you know what? We got to make a change. And and he was willing to put his his leadership and and his service on the line. And, you know, following up and he just said, Man, God's word works. And that's what our our people learned. I think one of the things that, that's so beautiful in his story is so many folks in dying churches, somewhere they got off track and they trust their own wisdom rather than God's word. Yep. And here's a really an elder statesman in the Southern Baptist Convention that just, it's so, so awesome to hear him say, man, trust God's word and let it work. Beautiful. Yeah. I, and I, I appreciated so much of how he, how he led that with wisdom and how he didn't just, and you talk about that tactical patience. He didn't just go, Guys, this is crazy. We fund the church through through tithes and offerings, not through yeah. selling chicken dinners. But he he taught on it and preached on it. And and I here's what I love. He didn't he didn't say, and so I taught and preached on tithing. He said, I taught and preached on that God's word works, that the word yeah. of God is sufficient. The word of God is enough. And what the word of God tells us is this is how we run a church. Um, yeah. and so he made he made the issue the sufficiency of scripture not tithing. Yeah, and doing the work of an evangelist. I loved his uh, pay-per-view fight uh, men's ministry launch that ended up bringing, you know, guys into the church. And then you just heard him talk as a, from the heart of a pastor to say, I didn't expect these guys who didn't know Christ to act like Christians. Yeah. And I expected it to be rough and I expected it to be, you know, kind of out there. But then when they, they come to the church, man, he's just making a huge deal over him, over them. And the Lord honored that, and and He's built a lot, a lasting legacy. You know, to hear Him talk about the joy of, and this, this really is, you know, one of the things we say is preach, pray, love, and stay. And for Him to to describe to us the fruit of longevity in one place of seeing people come to Christ, people be discipled, people fall in love and get married, have kids, and then the cycle repeats over and over. I can't, we can't, I think we can't underestimate the joy of pastoring for a long time in one place and seeing that. Right. Yeah. So when you, when you see kids graduate from high school, you see them marry, you know, all those sorts of things. Those are the joys that really, I think 
are overlooked for guys that may be thinking, man, I need a bit a bigger place, better salary. I need a more prominent place. But here's a guy who did that and became the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Right? A replanter became yeah. the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's not overlook that fact. <laughs> An African-American yes. National Baptist New Orleans replanter. Yeah. Who, who was told it ain't going to work and you're not going to work. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not the guy. <laughs> Man, great episode. And uh, what a gift. What His leadership, his legacy. It's awesome. Thank you for listening today. We'd love for you to share this with your friends. Go and subscribe. Leave us a review. Help us get the word out about the Replant Bootcamp podcast, which is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. And they launched two awesome new products to help churches church plants replants the first one's called launchpad all-in-one custom branding website bundle developed specifically for planters replanters and revitalizers who need to get things moving quickly the second is church quick site it was created for churches working with tight budgets and can help them get an amazing new church website and as little as one week at a really affordable price check out 180.church to learn more about these special new offerings how 180 can help your church move forward